Welcome to River Life Podcasts. We're a church family embracing the Father's presence, releasing empowered people to declare and demonstrate Christ's kingdom. We trust that God would use what you hear today to bless and grow you so that you would be a blessing to those around you. For more information about River Life Baptist Church, go to riverlifechurch.org.au or find us on social media. My name is Joe, I'm one of the pastoral team here if we haven't met yet. Uh, I trust that this morning you're going to be uh, blessed and challenged and encouraged and all of those things all at once this morning. It's a, it's a really good time to be in church, I believe, particularly here at River Life. Before we go further, I should actually just a big welcome to Josh and Sarah and Leona who have been our guests for one conference weekend, they're here today. And, uh, Josh will be speaking tonight as well, so uh, you know this might be a two-church Sunday for some of you. Come to church twice on a Sunday. Woo! The age of signs and wonders has not yet passed. I believe in it. But today, <laughs> yeah, I hear that. Uh, today it's it's an interesting time. It's a bit of a free kick message this morning. Uh, John said, you know, just just preach from your heart. I'm like, well, that's scary because I'm not sure what's in it. And I'm just not sure what's in my heart is resolved yet. And you know, when they squeeze the toothpaste and what's inside comes out, you're always like, ooh. So just roll with me this morning. <laughs> we'll just see where we go. How does that sound? Anyone scared? Great. So that's an opportunity for the perfect love of God to flood into your life. Okay, so today as I've been thinking and as I've been praying and as I've been just preparing, just spending time with the Lord, I'm constantly caught and convicted and just trapped by the fact that we're in this moment and in this season, in this, this transitional shift. As I look and as I listen and as I watch around the world, around our nation, in our city, in our families, in our community, in this very church, things are shifting. Laws are being passed that we don't understand why that would ever happen. Things are happening in our families that we we don't really have a grid for. Something's good, something's bad. We see some of the best of times and some of the worst of times and it's all kind of just sitting together and it feels like the the tension is dialing up and it feels like the crises are all around and yet in the midst of it we're seeing God do spectacular, amazing things in places where it shouldn't even happen and we're like, what is going on? What is happening? As I just stop and as I think about it, as I just dwell on it, What I'm really aware of, I think, is that God is preparing the soil. God is getting things ready. God's giving people the opportunity to make the decisions that are in their hearts, and it's creating a space where the need and the the desire and the hope that God is going to bring us is going to be so powerful and so impacting, it's going to cut through like a laser, because God is preparing things all around us. Because what he really wants and what he really believes in and what he's calling us all to is a relationship with him, right? That's what it's all about. At the core, it's all about relationship. It's all about relationship. People encountering the life-changing love of God in such a way that they respond to him, giving their entire life to him. Otherwise, why would we be here, right? (laughs) It's a beautiful day out there. There's got to be something going on in here to be in this room, right? Who was here last Sunday? Um, Karen Wilson from uh, Baptist World Aid Australia was here. Anyone in the house? Who was here last Sunday night and heard her speak? Anyone? Yeah, she just was really blessed by the whole day here. She just was talking to some of the pastoral team and she's like, I've just been so blessed today. The worship was amazing. The people were amazing. The presence of God was just so tangible. The generosity, 
it's just amazing. She was just like undone by it. She said to the, to the, the night service, she said, I just, like, I can't even believe there's empty seats. Wouldn't you just want to invite all your friends and be in this place? Like, it's just so amazing what's going on. And it struck me that sometimes we don't know what's, we don't really have a perspective on what's going on in our midst because we're just used to it, right? We're just kind of in it. We don't know how good it is or bad it is. We kind of don't have those reference points particularly. And so we don't really understand just how significant and how profound and how powerful it is when God shows up in a group of people like this. Uh, a mentor of mine used to always say that when, when you have momentum, it shifts the perspective that people have of you. When you have momentum, you look much better than you really are. And when you don't have it, you look a lot worse than you really are. But I believe that if we stop and look around, we'll see the momentum that the Lord is generating and building in this place and in our community. We're gonna, we, we, we need to be humble about it. There's humility's at the core, but we can be excited. We can be generous and outgoing and engaging with people because what's actually happening in this place is something really significant. It's something really important. You know, 12 people gave their lives to Jesus last week. Last Sunday, 12 people. I appreciate your golf clap, but it was 12 people. Come on, like 12 people met Jesus. That's spectacular. That's 12. Like, when Jesus hit 12, he's like, that's enough. Let's change the world. Like, I'm serious. Like, that's amazing. What God is doing is absolutely spectacular. And this weekend has been no different. It's been a really significant weekend. We had over 150 youth and young adults in this room who encountered God, who were encouraged and challenged and loved on and compelled to go and bless our community. My 13-year-old son, who loves nothing more than requesting on screen time another hour on YouTube, (laughs) he and his best mate prayed. One of them felt like the Lord said the word freedom to him. And the other one got the impression that Lord was telling him to look for someone in an orange shirt. So they go to freedom just down the road, walk in, see a lady in an orange shirt. Turns out it's one of their teachers from primary school. <laughs> they front up to her and go, hey, did you know that God showed us this, blah, blah, blah. Can we pray for you? Do you need anything, pray, uh, anything prayed for? And she said, well, my sister-in-law is really sick. And so they got to pray for her. And this is my 13-year-old son. <laughs> like... I remember the first time I did that, I was petrified. And he was like, yeah, it was really fun. And I'm like, whoa. (laughs) Things are shifting. Things are changing. God is building something in our midst. It's a culture shift. It's a generational shift. There's a legacy being developed right now because so many of us in this room have pressed in for so long. God is taking your investment and we're seeing it bear fruit in the next generation. How exciting is that? The culture's tipping, but when we're sitting in it, sometimes we don't notice it, right? When we're being obedient, where we just pray, we read the word, we come to church, we go to our life groups, we just serve humbly as we do, we we sometimes miss the bigger picture of what God's actually doing. But I want to tell you right now, well done, it's shifting. Congratulations. So exciting. We have a prophetic culture now that is just becoming the norm. And you guys may not even really get that. 
You might go, well, we're not really prophetic people, or I'm a bit scared of the prophetic, but every time you pray for someone and you get that kind of, I feel like God might just want you to know that he loves you, that's a prophetic culture. That's hearing from God and passing it on. It's just becoming the norm of what we do. People walk into this place who've never been here before, and they can come to just about anyone who's been here for more than a week and say, would you pray for me? And they're going to hear from the Lord. Like, that doesn't happen everywhere. That's just the thing. I want to congratulate you. That's amazing. And what has happened is really important because it sets the foundation for what I believe is to happen next. Because what I think next, what I think is coming is a bit of a test. What I think is right in front of us now is an invitation to an opportunity. As I've been looking back through revival history, I've been reading and writing on this and I've just been reading volume after volume on this and so much. But time and time again, you see this, this move of God that you would know, try and tie it down to a person or a prayer or a moment, but really it's, it's never really about the individuals. Jesus comes and sets them free and saves their souls. And, but what it is, it's all about God moving. It's not really about who's most important and who's most famous. It's about God and his kingdom breaking into lives and communities and shifting things. God loves to grow his kingdom. And it's for those who don't know him yet, weirdly. Church is set up for people who aren't part of it, right? The cool thing is we're invited in to be a part of it. We get to participate in it. We get to find who we are. We get to come alive in our identity. We get transformed by his love as we're in this place and as we're giving it away. It's this beautiful symbiosis as we journey, as we step out, he fills us up. As we give, we receive. It's this beautiful dance with the Lord that comes out of this intimacy with him. Our job really is just to steward what he's doing. Your job and mine is to pay attention to what he's doing, to be so close to his heart that when he says go, when he says stop, when he says orange shirt, when he says love, we go, yes, Lord, your servant is listening. That I think we can do, but where the, where the rub comes, where the push comes as we steward this move is how we get ready to champion the next generation. Because some of the stuff that those kids were doing on the weekend, was pretty intense. Like how comfortable would you be to walk up to someone on the street and say, hey, I believe in Jesus, and he pointed you out to me before when I was praying, and now I want to pray that that broken leg of yours would be healed? It's pretty confronting. I can hear for some of you, even right now, you're thinking, well, I'm not sure they'll do that. I'm not even sure that God does that now. The test and the challenge we're faced with is how we transition to celebrate and champion the next generation that's coming through. Because God's in the business of relationships, right? I said that before and I'll say it again. It's the core of what we do here. He existed in relationship before time began and he's drawing us into this relationship with him. That's always been the plan. In Genesis 12, he said to Abraham, I'm going to bless you and the world will be blessed through you because of me. In Exodus 6 verse 7, he says, I will take you to be my people and I will be your God and you shall know that I am the Lord, your God. 
has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. It's always been this desire for intimacy and relationship and connection. He's been building family. He's been building intimacy. From the garden till today, he's been looking for hearts that are blameless towards him so that he can prove himself strong through those people. He's looking for us. It's always been about the legacy that's being built. And most powerfully for me, I think it, it's illustrated in Hebrews 11. So would you open your Bible and would you, would you turn to Hebrews 11 with me? Because we see this picture in Hebrews 11 of, of just the legacy of faith. It's called the Hall of Faith by some people. And it's just this list and this, this kind of like testimony reel of all the things that happened in the Old Testament with the, with the people that the Lord used. It goes through Abel and Noah and Moses and Abraham, this is out of order now, David and the judges, all these different people. He goes through all of that, the author of Hebrews. But what I want to read today is, is pick up in verse 32. It kind of summarizes a whole pile of stuff. So the author of Hebrews says this, And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson, of Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. And right now the tone shifts. There's victory on the side of the Lord. But sometimes others suffered mocking and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. Wandering about in deserts and mountains, in dens and caves of the earth. Of whom the world was not worthy. Wow. Can you imagine a faith like that? Can you imagine in the, in the midst of being threatened to your very life, just going, I believe in the Lord God Almighty. The world is not worthy of people like that. Imagine when you get to glory and you see Jesus face to face and says, I see your faith. The world wasn't even worthy of what you did. Powerful, right? Sobering and exciting and challenging and judging and, and kind of makes me kind of judge my, my actions and my, my motives about where I'm going. But then what does it say next? Because I want to live a life of faith like that. I'm happy for the victory and Lord, I trust you can preserve me through the hard times. But what does it say next in verse 39? All these though commended through their faith did not receive what was promised. Can you imagine Can you imagine the heartbreak of Moses as he's on Mount Nebo looking at the promised land at 120 years old with good eyes and good teeth and the strong arms and legs and God's going, no, the promise isn't for you right now. Can you imagine the prophet Isaiah as he's being sawn in two, God going, yeah, but 
the promise isn't there yet. They did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. They should not be made complete and whole, brought to the fullness. As we are here today, you, me, all of us, we bring to completion to a fuller expression the promise that God gave to Abraham. The promise that God gave to David about a people who would worship. The, the promise that he gave to those who carried that redemptive story forward. You are part of the fulfillment of that promise. Come on. Do you feel the weight of that? Do you, do you, the, the, the implications of that? That's why the author of Hebrews says then in, in chapter 12, verse 1, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us not give up. Let us keep going. Let's cast aside the stuff that gets in the way. But this is where the challenge comes because that's the culture shift we need to find because it's each generation as it finds the Lord becomes a fuller expression, the fulfillment of the promise that God has let the universe know what he's doing in you is going to get passed on to another generation. He's always looked to build the legacy. As we raise our new generations, as new people come into this place who don't know how to do things, who don't know when to stand up and sit down and how much to give and what they should do and when they shouldn't bring coffee in and all that stuff, as, as people are, are challenging the status quo, we need to know how to respond because as they meet the Lord, the promise he made to us is being fulfilled in them. Twelve people meeting Jesus is fulfillment of the promise that he's put on our house. Kids going out and declaring his glory, acts of service and acts of compassion and demonstrations of the goodness of God and signs and wonders is part of the promise on this community. How do we steward it? Many of us have given dollars, we've prayed, we've done something to, to see this thing become a reality but even, I know for me, the challenge sometimes is like, well, but now they're just going a bit too far. It's a bit too intense. When the culture shift comes, when it starts to actually bang up against us, when it starts to be right in our face, when they start coming to our spaces and our places and their music starts to come into our playlists and they're sitting next to me in my seats, that's when the rub comes, right? I love that Rick and Ann sit over here with the youth. I think it's amazing. <laughs> Come on. Wouldn't you want to be around those people? Because I know it can be challenging, right? We push back when this stuff happens. We don't like it. We tell them, you know, we feel threatened. And so we, we get really kind of spiritual usually. Like they're so immature in their faith, they don't understand. We need, to, we need to let them know the reality of this. We need to, you know... It's too radical. They're not respectful enough. They've got to respect what we're doing. Which might be true. <laughs> Again, I have young children. <laughs> but they're the fulfillment of the promise that God put on our hearts. 
I'm not saying there's no room for disagreement or discernment or wisdom and people are still going to make mistakes and they're still going to need to be corrected and encouraged and have the gold called out of them. But God's looking for a multi-generational family, right? There's not going to be a day when you go like, I'm done, here's the baton, and I'm out of this Christian thing, I've done my bit, I'm just going to sit back and watch. That's when you go to glory. There will never be a day in this place. Because he wants us all in this together. He's calling us to do it together. He's calling us to walk alongside. Because they're going to need your wisdom. The next generation is going to need your depth of biblical knowledge, the, the storehouse that you've built up through years of praying. They're going to need your practical wisdom on how to parent and love and run their finances and, and how to share the reality of Jesus in their workplace. They're going to need all of that from you. And quite frankly, I think some of us might need some of their passion. <laughs> some of us might just need that excitement to go, you know what, Jesus actually is the only deal. The presence of God really is the only thing that matters. And Jesus wasn't joking when he said, seek first my kingdom and I'll look after the rest. To encourage you, this generational shift has been going on since time began. Some generations have navigated it well and some have struggled. But there's always a point of clash. There's always a testing moment. There's always that time to pass it on. And how do we steward it? And how do we steward our hearts as we start to raise up those people into our spaces? As Moses raised up Joshua, Moses is out leading the people and Joshua is just in the tent soaking. I can imagine Moses would have to have checked himself at times going, well, come on. There's armies to lead and people to sort out and decisions to be made. But as God's doing something new and fresh in each generation, we've got to be close to him and listening and ready to follow. You know, a lot of what we experience now, I've just been reading about the Jesus People movement in the 60s, right? What we see now, what we see God doing in our midst, some of it came out of that space. But what happened was, in the heat of Southern California, literally thousands of hippies started to meet Jesus. 1960s, Hot in churches. Can you imagine if a thousand unwashed, smelly, dreadlocked, barefooted people showed up in here? Can you imagine the smell? Can you imagine what that would do to the seats? This happened. In the late 60s, as, as, as Jesus just started to grab the hearts of a generation of people, they came into churches and the church boards got really upset. They're wrecking our carpet. They're making the chairs disgusting. And there was a pastor who had the presence of mind and the intimacy with God enough to stop and think, you know what, well then tear up the carpet. Because it's not about the carpet, it's about the people. It's about preparing our legacy for the generational shift. Um, when David Wagner was here, he, he said it, and, and Pastor Nick and Pastor John have all said it time and time again, and I'll say it again because I think it sums up perfectly how we are to posture our hearts for the shift, for the change. Not that we're out of the game, not that we're relegated to the sideline, but so that we can do this together. He said, do not let your preference become a prejudice that prevents you from his promises and his presence. 
think David Wagner is a Baptist with all those P's in there, but I'll say it again. <laughs> Do not let your preferences become a prejudice. Do not what you like become a wall that stops you from the move of God and stepping in to seeing the promises fulfilled in the next generation because what they're doing is going to draw us into something fresh and new, a new wineskin. I call this message the challenge of generations because I think it goes two ways. I think the next generation creates a challenge to us as a morning congregation, as people who've been doing this Jesus thing for a while, who are used to church and what it should look like. It's a challenge to us when things start to get radical and shift, when things get a little loose around the edges and, and people are, are growing and the, and the wheat and the weeds grow together sometimes and we've got to get into discipleship. It's a challenge to not reject it and judge it and be threatened by it. That's a challenge. But the other challenge is that what are we going to do about investing in it? As much as you might be confronted by it, you know, there's also a bunch of people, I'm sure, and I've been guilty of this as well. Yeah, I love it. God bless it. Keep doing it. Yep, I'll fund someone to a camp. I'll, I'll do all that. But we become passive in our agreement. We're happy with it, but there's no intimacy in the relationship. Uh, I work with, with Scott McKinnon, he's on staff two days a week with me in spiritual formation and one of the verses that he loves to use as he trains his youth leaders to love this next generation comes out of 1 Thessalonians 2. It says this, so being affectionately desirous of you, says Paul, as I love you so much, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God but our own selves because you become very dear to us. It's not just information to the next generation needs. It's not just your endorsement or your permission. It's not just you shifting your heart from judging to loving. For this thing to work, for this family to be a family, for the promises of God to start to be fulfilled in each generation, it takes the sharing of lives. Because it's really easy for us just to give some money. But what if they wanted to come and sit in your lounge room? What if they wanted to come and know what makes you tick and take up your time? What if they wanted to hear your heart? What if they wanted to know the challenges that you've struggled with and how you've overcome and where you've still got a thorn in the flesh and, and how you navigate that and, and why it is sometimes you're mad at your kids and sometimes why you're happy with your kids? Why is that happening and why do you do it and how is God in the midst of that? How would that feel if that's what was actually required of us? Because that's a shift, right? That's a big shift. You know, one of the most rewarding things as a parent is that we've been running home groups for I don't know how many years, and you know, it's, it's hard some weeks. It's real hard. I've got four kids. My eldest is, is 13, my youngest is six, and they've got to have dinner, they've got to have baths, they've got homework, they've got to get to bed. And then I've got, you know, people coming to my house real soon and I've got to get the house cleaned up because it looks lived in most weeks. But you know what's powerful when my kids come out and one of their youth leaders is in my lounge room and they see them living it out to their face while they're seeing me live it out to their face. 
It's so rewarding and powerful that they grow up in a place where they know that it's not just about the young people or the old people or the in-betweeners, but it's everyone coming together. That's where the, the richness of the gospel flourishes. It's where the power of God and the presence breaks through. When a, when a six-year-old sees a 23-year-old with a white-hot passion for God, they're changed and shifted and they're modeled something de- deeply impacting that when they get the chance to have a go, they'll do it themselves. And when that white, hot, passionate 23-year-old sees someone in their 40s or 50s who understands the wisdom of God and has got a depth of intimacy and can share out of the overflow, they are, they are directed and focused and transformed and become an impacting force for the kingdom. Yeah. It all works together. God always had this plan. This is not foreign to him. He knew it'd be hard. That's why he sent us a comforter. But I love it. The Old Testament in our Christian Bibles finishes with the book of Malachi. And in, in chapter 4, there's this, there's this little prophetic kind of warning slash promise. Malachi declares to the nation of Israel behalf of the Lord as a mouthpiece for the Lord. He says, Behold, I will send to you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with the decree of utter destruction. Family stops the curse. But what I hadn't really picked up on was just a few pages later, at the start of the New Testament, in Luke chapter 1, Luke writes this, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Jesus and John the Baptist come together and fulfill the promise of Malachi 4. We sit in the day of fulfillment. And the tension and the clash and the generational blockages is just the promise working itself out. Paul understood it. Paul did this. Paul, who wrote so much of our New Testament, who gives us insight into the the workings of what this should look like as people of God in this newfound life of the spirit and community with different backgrounds and different preferences and different attitudes, he got it. He writes a number of letters to the church in Corinth. They were full of the spirit, they were excited, they were passionate, they were making very messy decisions and doing silly, silly things. It's like a church of youth and young adults only. You can understand why Paul's letters are like that if you think about it with that filter. But Paul sees it and he sees what God's doing and he knows there's there's a promise being fulfilled and he knows that something that is valuable for the world is happening in that place and people are being transformed by the good news of Jesus and they're being filled with the Spirit and they're loving sacrificially so let's help them do it well. And he writes this in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 after he corrects them about a few little things. He says, I don't write these things to make you ashamed. 
I write them to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you have not many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. When the generation is rising up, when the fulfillment of your promise is right in your face and it's confronting everything that you've held dear, but you know the word of the Lord is that he's fulfilling that promise to you in that person. What does Paul say? They don't need another teacher. They need mums and dads in the faith. This is one of the the bedrock reasons why we want to be a family embracing the Father's presence, not just an organization that's high-performing yet broken in relationship. It's all about mums and dads and sons and daughters raising up the next generation, investing. We don't need more teachers because the best way you can teach them is show them your life. And you know what's really cool? Each and every one of you has something to offer. As unique as the fingerprint is on your hand, so is your life in the Lord. And what you have is going to just bless and grow and challenge someone who's coming into this place. The challenge then of the generations is a challenge to us. It's Paul's challenge. And he doesn't even make it a challenge. He just makes it a simple statement. Be imitators of me, he says. And I know we're going, man, that guy is so full of himself. Follow Jesus. Come on, Paul, just relax. But his heart is so for the Lord and his desire is so to raise up a generation that he decided to live a life that was worthy of imitation. And I believe the challenge that laid on my heart this week as I thought about this, the challenge is, is my life a life worthy of imitation? Because that is what's going to bless the generation. And that is what I believe is the challenge to each and every one of us today. Many of us are doing it. But I think for all of us, there's, there's a deeper intimacy with God that can flow out into those relationships. Do we live a life worthy of imitation? Thanks for listening to this River Life podcast. Make sure you subscribe to keep up to date with all the latest content. If this podcast has raised any questions for you, contact us via church at riverlifechurch.org.au or through Facebook and Instagram. Thanks for listening.